are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day, Brian Peacock here with you on this Monday Rapid React edition of the program. The 49ers blown out Sunday, 43-16 in Seattle against the rival Seahawks. It was, I think maybe at some points it was closer than what that final score looks, but we'll take you through it. I'll take you through some game notes. We've got a little audio from uh, Coach Shanahan. He was visibly upset on the sideline during this game. The 49ers, though, showed some spirit, did look like they were trying to come back at one point, but uh, it was not to be for San Francisco, and they fall to 2-10, and tied for the worst record in the NFL. More on that, more on the draft position, and uh, more on some game notes, and there is, I think, some players who, uh, who showed up and deserve a game ball in this one, so we'll talk about that as well. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review the podcast. We're going to keep this thing going all offseason long. A lot of players to break down. I really want to break down some rookies later on in the week here and really just it just hone in on a few players, some young guys that are developing and, and do some reviews on just how they looked out there because obviously the wins and losses aren't lining up for the 49ers right now. And at some point, it's probably better if they don't going forward. It's all about development. And so that's one of the things I really want to look at here on the podcast going forward the rest of this season. And of course, it's going to be huge on the free agency and of course, NFL draft. That's one of my things here on Locked On 49ers. We'll be hitting you all off season long covering your San Francisco 49ers. Hit me up on Twitter at BD Peacock. You can email the show Locked On 49ers at Gmail. Uh, that's the best place to get those mailbag questions in. We will be dipping into the mailbag with our weekly wink tomorrow with Mr. Nick Winkler. I mentioned the rookies there in the open, and that is something I'm definitely going to focus on the rest of the season here. And I want to do individual, maybe just full episodes on each individual guy and and break down what I see from some of these players when I go back and rewatch the games, uh, you know, given the time, if I'm able to go back and see each guy, hopefully I am enough to, to really put that together. But um, I'm going to focus on it either way, but in this game even, and we're seeing it down the stretch already that Kyle Shanahan's made the choice. Like he's going young. He's letting the guys play. Um, Marquise Goodwin, unfortunately, is away from the team right now, dealing with some family issues, which is unfortunate. We we know he went through last year around this same time. And so you hope it's not something like that. Or, you know, it's just thoughts are with the Goodwin family. He's such a great guy. And uh, I think that's why he's been given so much time away from the team because he is such a great guy. And, and, you, and maybe that Shanahan's like, you know what? We want to see these other players. You stay away. Get your head right. Do what you have to do there with your family. Be with your family. And Goodwin's dealt with some injuries this year, too. So, get, hey, get healthy. And he mentioned this week that Pierre Garçon could play if, if he had to. And so they're letting him rest. So I think it's pretty clear he wants to see Richie James. He wants to see Dante Pettis, who showed up and has showed up the last couple of weeks, and Kendrick Bourne as well, uh, making some catches. So I think that's clear. Uh, they started... Jaquaski Tart at free safety in this game. Rookie Marcel Harris getting the start at strong safety. That is another one. Obviously, a Julian Taylor, seventh-round draft pick, defensive lineman, getting run the last couple of weeks. And so there's multiple players that they're really trying to, to evaluate and get into football games. And it, it may not be producing victories right now, but the idea is that in the future, 
you either find out if they are going to be part of a, a nucleus of, of players that can produce victories later or if they're not going to be a part of that at all. So I think that's important. And uh, so I'm all about that. Uh, Jeff Wilson's another guy that I liked what I saw from him today. Just just playing his butt off, really. And so, um, yeah, the effort, the effort from Jeffrey Wilson. Dude, like it's a cliche, a football cliche, but he just wants to get downhill and that's it. And and I love that. He he plays he plays hard and he runs hard. And it's a style that we haven't really seen from the 49ers uh, in a little while. Uh, actually, I guess it's sort of reminiscent of Carlos Hyde a little bit with the way he runs. I think he's got a little bit more juice than Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde's a lot bigger than Jeffrey Wilson. Uh, but definitely Wilson's a lot different than Matt Breida, who, by the way, Matt Breida mysteriously out of the game. He left the game early in the first series and, and didn't play a lot down the stretch. Uh, what was it? I think he had seven carries on the day, five carries on the day for six yards. So he was ineffective when he was in there, rarely touches the ball, was rarely on the field. He actually got hurt during warmups and re-aggravated his ankle injury. So they pretty much went with Jeff Wilson all day, and he had a pretty good showing. 15 carries for 61 yards, a 4.1 average. He had some tough yards there at the end of the game. Before that, he was averaging near six yards per carry for a lot of the game and uh, made some plays in the passing game too. They went to they went to screen passes quite a bit in this game. Jeff Wilson had the most receptions on the team, eight catches for 73 yards. Uh, Dante Pettis obviously had the big game offensively for the 49ers receiving core with five catches, 129 receiving yards, and a pair of touchdowns that goes with that puts him over 200 yards for the last two games. So very productive game from Dante Pettis and really showing. I've been calling him Plastic Man just because sometimes it looks like he just doesn't have bones in his body. That's how flexible and bendy and weird he moves. But it's awesome because it works. It's what we saw. I think in this game more than any other game this year, what Kyle Shanahan saw in Dante Pettis and why he liked him and why he's such a Kyle Shanahan receiver is that ability to separate, uh, the ability to get in and out of his breaks. And even though he moves strange, that helps him. It's almost like a a really erratic, smooth, the the way he moves is crazy. And um, you saw on the the catch and run he made where he caught it, ditched a guy, and then ducked around a blocker and then tiptoed down the sideline. A lot of guys can't move their hips that way and and maneuver in small areas and, and find that seam and get up the sideline and score a touchdown. And then obviously there was the long, 75-yard catch and run where he ran the post route and caught it and uh, and took it to the house. So it was really awesome to see Dante Pettis step up here at the end of the year. And um, even when Goodwin's back, I wonder how – because they play the same position. They've been lining up in that same X receiver spot. So I wonder if they're going to move Dante Pettis around or move Marquise Goodwin around when he's back. That'll be interesting because you got to keep Dante Pettis on the field, especially now that he's earned it and he's looked good – and he's going to be part of the future. You got to get him reps down the stretch here. If you're going to do anything this season and lose a bunch of games, get the young guys as much experience as you can. So Dante Pettis should definitely be part of that. And um, actually, that's a good segue. Let's hear from Dante Pettis. He talked about uh, that 75-yard catch and run. When I watched it, I was like, is that a post route or is it like a long, a deep slant? And the answer is kind of both. I'll let Dante Pettis tell you what that was. I mean, right away right when we lined up, I saw the safety was down low on the other side. And so, uh, you know, normally I'm supposed to take a kind of sharper angle. Um, and I saw there was no safety in the middle of the field. So I kind of took it higher. It was just hope that Nick saw it too. And he did and hit me in stride. And I mean, it was a good throw by him too. 
Look at that. The young guys making their little on-the-fly adjustments and making a huge play. I wonder if Shanahan at first was like, what the hell is that? That's not the route I called. He didn't run it right. And then he's like, oh, okay, no, that's cool. That'll work. <laughs> because remember a few weeks ago, Shanahan was in Dante Pettis's ear on the sideline. Like he was giving him some serious business about the way he was running a route or, or something. It was really unclear what exactly he was talking to him about, but he was on him about something. And Dante Pettis was slow to earn a bunch of playing time in the middle of the season. Obviously deal, dealing with injuries is a big part of that too. But um, Pettis talked a little bit about that after the game and about being challenged by Shanahan. And it sounds like he's risen to that challenge. Yeah, I mean, he challenges me all the time. Uh, you know, every single play, I know that he's expects more out of me. So, uh, you know, we've had a few talks about kind of what he expects. And so um, I guess you could say that kind of sparked something. Uh, I mean, it's nothing different than what I expect from myself. But uh, when the head coach kind of calls you out, then it's like, okay, I guess I got to really get going. So, yeah. Big game from Dante Pettis. Uh, taking some of those early season growing pains and learning from them and uh, developing before our eyes, which has got to be a really exciting thing for 49ers fans. Probably the number one uh, takeaway to be happy about in this loss, losing to the Seahawks in Seattle. Never fun for 49ers fans, I know. But to take away that development, watch Dante Pettis develop in this offense and and for the 49ers and make some big plays, I think, is pretty important. So, uh, got to take a quick break here. We'll hear from the coach, talk about uh, the officiating a little bit and some other things I noticed in the game notes and give out some game balls. Now, you guys have probably heard me talk about my bookie, and I know watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining when you got some skin in the game. It's a little bit more fun, just like a lot of things are. But some of you are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on. College basketball, football, NBA, NHL, uh, custom props, uh, even eSports, you name it. And, of course, NFL football. You could even bet on your San Francisco 49ers if you want to. Kind of tough to do right now with the way they're playing. So sign up this week, and my bookie will give you 50% deposit bonus to jumpstart your bankroll. It's a great way to bank even more money when you win. Also, be sure to follow at Bet my bookie on Twitter. They personally respond to every mention and DM. Not to mention, they've given away more than $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new odds and props are posted. So don't miss out on one of the best weeks to bet on sports this year. Log on to my bookie right now. Use promo code locked on and get that 50% deposit bonus. That's promo code locked on at my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. So what can we say about the officiating? I don't think there was an optimal level of great officiating in this football game, to say the least. And I think Kyle Shanahan would tell you something a little bit more uh, pointed than that in private. And I think he told the refs as such on the sideline. And he was mad anyway. And then the the calls on top of it. Here's what the coach had to say after the game uh, when he was a little bit more level-headed about the officiating. Uh, yeah, there was a number of things that added up that were building up and uh, made a dumb mistake and said something I shouldn't have and it won't happen again. You know, I get that, those ones are very frustrating because, you know, I definitely believe he didn't fumble it. And when it is a tie, a tie goes to the offense. Um, you know, it's, they sit there and talk about it for a while, then they decide to call it a fumble. Um, 
which so it always goes to replay and I think the replay showed it but it's got to be 100% when it's ever like that so when if it's not 100% then even though despite what everyone knows it was you have to live with it so I was very frustrated with that and then on top of it um, after missing that um, if you do reward them a fumble we were on top of him, which means he's down. So they're, they should have started on their five-yard line, backed up instead of at the 15-yard line. Um, so I thought they missed two on that. And look, officiating isn't the reason the 49ers lost this game, but it's just an extra annoyance, I'm sure, for a head coach that's losing a football game and, and can't take control of the game. And uh, I believe, uh, quote, call the bleeping game was one of the things he said to him. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, he was pissed. Shanahan was definitely pissed in this game. One of the other things he got really mad about, they flashed to Shanahan on the sideline after Mullins took that third down sack and it took the 49ers out of field goal range. What sucks is, is Mullins played actually a pretty good game and uh, yeah, I mean, threw for 400 yards. That hasn't happened since Tim Rattay in 2004. But again, another not great quarterback and not great football team in 2004 that didn't win a lot of games. So, you know, yardage by a quarterback doesn't necessarily mean that things are going all that great, but... Uh, 30 of 48 for 414 yards. That's not bad. Two touchdowns. He had the one pick. So uh, if the, the two plays, I think that if you had those back for Nick Mullins, we're talking about a 17-point swing. There was the, the sack there that I just mentioned that he took. Took the 49ers out of field goal range. That was three points off the board right there. If Robbie Gold makes it. We all know Robbie Gold is going to make that kick, right? Um, and then the interception. The pick six. Mullins... Goes to his right, his first read, comes back to the middle of the field, knows he has Jeff Wilson run that little hook. He's hooking it up right at the goal line and just turns and fires it to him. And he doesn't even see that Bobby Wagner's sitting there just baiting him practically, just ready to throw it. I mean, he's got that zone. He, he's he's on it. Uh, you just can't make that throw. He had to see him and know he was there in that zone. And, um, and Mullins didn't see it. And so instead of seven points for the 49ers, that's seven points the other way. So that's a 14-point swing plus the, the three points on the field goal. That's a 17-point swing. Now, at that point of the game, that gets the 49ers closer. And maybe they momentum's different and the, the, the game script changes there and the 49ers are able to actually come back and, and, and fight for the victory at the end of that game. I don't know if it would have been, but two pretty big mistakes there by Mullins, especially, obviously, the 98-yard the interception return for a touchdown. That's, that's a killer right there. And that was really the dagger in the football game. But the Seahawks were obviously better and... Despite those plays, I don't think the 49ers and Nick Mullins was going to take him back. But I liked the the moxie. I liked him showing that he had the guts to keep playing. And he brought the team back. And in the second half, they kept coming. And part of that was Seahawks maybe playing back on their heels a little bit, playing a little bit soft, letting everything happen in front of them. But Dante Pettis beat him deep. You know, they made some plays. And so uh, that was good to see, at least, from from Nick Mullins and, and the rest of the 49ers offense, is especially considering that the pass protection wasn't very good in this game, especially early. Nick Mullins got sacked, what, three times? He got hit. I think it was he got hit 15 times. I haven't seen the full pro football focus numbers. We'll see those later in the week. But, dude, he got hit constantly. That was crazy. So uh, Nick Mullins hung in there, stayed in the game, ill-advised on that zone read play where, uh, he, on the two-point conversion where he tried to keep it and – and run somebody over and get into the end zone, and he got absolutely crushed, and the ball just instantly flew out of his grasp. Uh, that was uh, I, I like the toughness, but Nick, let's not you know, coach, first of all, Coach Shanahan, let's not call that one again. And Nick, 
let's hand off those zone replays. <laughs> I think that's probably the smart play. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, the 49ers might have been missing the talent of Reuben Foster in this game. They picked on Malcolm Smith a little bit. What's crazy is if Akella Witherspoon, who, as far as I can remember, and I definitely was in and out at the end of the game because the game, by the way, lasted forever, it felt like. I was like, had to get ready for work and I was getting some stuff, stuff together. I was watching the game, but I might have missed a reception, but I don't think any balls were caught in. Akella Witherspoon's coverage. I don't think there was many balls caught in Richard Sherman's coverage. There was a broken play where a receiver was in his vicinity, but he was breaking off his route. It was a signature Russell Wilson scramble drill play where he gets away and the receiver breaks off his route. And uh, that was the second touchdown to Jaron Brown. But if your two starting corners aren't getting balls completed on them, yet Russell Wilson's throwing four touchdown passes. Where where are those balls coming? Where are they going, you know? And so a lot of those were, they schemed up ways to get guys like Tyler Lockett one-on-one with a linebacker and Malcolm Smith. And uh, there was one play where he got completely sucked up. It was that long pass play to Brown. I think I was the first, was that the first Seahawks drive of the game? And he was wide open down the left sideline. And then, yeah, that was a frustrating drive right there because there was the play where uh, Malcolm Smith gets sucked up in zone coverage. Jaron Brown's wide open down the left sideline. They go for 45 yards. Russell Wilson ends up throwing the touchdown pass to Brown, and Wilson just had all day to throw on that play. They they only rushed three on that, so they were dropping everybody else, including interior defensive lineman Solomon Thomas. It's like, okay, good. Let's play Solomon Thomas more as a defensive tackle from the interior. Let him rush the quarterback on passing downs. So they put him inside, and what do they do? Then they drop him back into coverage. So they're rushing three, no pressure at all on Wilson, sitting there all day just waiting for one of his guys to get open. I don't know. I, I don't like that call, but most of the time when the 49ers had dropped defensive linemen, they were bringing a zone blitz, so a linebacker was coming from somewhere, so they're trying to create pressure, which I get. This is just like they're just trying to put too many defenders in the end zone and make it tough for Wilson to fit a ball in. But, you know, rushing three, he had all day to throw. He just picked his spot, found, waited for one of his guys to get open, and he found him. So anyway, the the moral of that story was I got off on the Solomon Thomas tangent and having him in coverage. But yeah, Malcolm Smith, they really targeted Malcolm Smith in this game. They ran the heck out of the ball to 168 yards on the ground. They ran it 29 times. That's a 5.8 average, including uh, the Rashad Penny touchdown where he just walked into the end zone after the long Tyler Lockett punt return. So just some demoralizing plays, you know, the, the 49ers coming out of the half. It's like, okay, we're not in that bad of shape. We can, got a field goal at the end of the first half. Let's come back and, and, and work our way back into this thing. Then boom, long punt return, almost taken to the house. And then the next play you're in the end zone. It's like, okay, well now what? And then the 49ers, okay, let's do this. We're, we're driving. Nick Mullins throwing a few drives together here. We're putting up a bunch of yards. We're marching down the field again, then pick six. That was really the story of the day because Russell Wilson didn't throw the ball very many times. He, he attempted 17 passes, uh, completed 11 of those, and had four touchdowns. So everything that he completed was a killer against the 49ers. And the, Nor- the Niners got to him a few times. Uh, he didn't get hit as much or pressured as much or hurried as much as Nick Mullins, but he got sacked just as many times. He got sacked three times, two of those from DeForest Buckner, who now has nine on the year. So he's going to fir- be the first double-digit sack guy for the Niners since Alden Smith, which I think is pretty big. Okay, um, I got to get to some game balls here, and I want to give these guys their due. So let's uh, move on to that right after this. 
some really quick, interesting statistics about the game, and then we'll, we'll give out some game balls. Let's start with Dan Beckler, who's a 49ers PR guy. Uh, he had a couple of nuggets here. DeForest Buckner registered two sacks today and has registered at least a half a sack in four consecutive games, the longest streak of his career. He's the first member of the 49ers to register a half a sack in four consecutive games since Alden Smith in weeks 7 through 14 of 2012. Quarterback Nick Mullins completed 30 of 48 passes for a career-high 414 yards and two touchdowns and marked the first time in his career that he's thrown for 400 or more yards. Obviously, he's only played in four games. Uh, Mullins, 414 passing yards are the most by a 49ers QB since, I mentioned this earlier, quarterback Tim Rattay's 417 passing yards versus Arizona in October of 2004. And this little nugget, which is kind of mind-blowing from Josh Dubow of the Associated Press, the 49ers' lack of turnovers has been obvious, but it's at a level I didn't even realize. The 49ers' five takeaways are the fewest since at least 1940 through 12 games, beating the seven that the Jacksonville Jaguars had in 2016. So seven was the previous lowest since 1940, and the 49ers had two less than that, only five takeaways through 12 games. Yeah, it's it's bad. The 49ers are not... Well, Kella Witherspoon had one bounce off his hands in this one. Uh, didn't get a lot of balls completed on him. But when the 49ers have the opportunity, which is already rare, they're not able to intercept the ball. And the lack, like just they haven't hit quarterbacks, knocked the ball out. Not a lot of fumbles to even pick up. Not a lot of forced fumbles. Uh, obviously not a lot of interceptions. It's just five takeaways through 12 games is pretty crazy. And uh, that just shows you since 1940, it's the fewest a pass rush would help that, but some there is a little bit of luck factor with that too. They just it's not bouncing their way in 2018. It's just not. All right, let's give out some game balls. Number one, I got to give a game ball. Last week I teased it. I said, you know what? Not quite game ball worthy. You get an honorable mention. Nope. This time, rookie wide receiver Dante Pettis, five catches for what was it, 129 yards and two touchdowns. And the big play, the 49ers offense has been really missing just that big play, 75-yard strike, boom, seven points on the board. They haven't been able to do that. And to see Dante Pettis make a play like that, you start to realize, okay, okay, he's developing. This is a guy that can make big plays for this offense in the future. And so it's awesome to see him on the field, and he should be out there every snap the rest of the way. No doubt, Dante Pettis gets a game ball. Let's give a game ball to... Jeffrey Wilson, I just loved the way he played. And it's look, it's a Shanahan offense. Whoever they throw in there at running back looks pretty darn good. And Jeff Wilson was no different. I love the way he ran. Uh, the lost fumble might not have been a fumble, as we heard from the coach earlier. Um, 15 carries for 61 yards, you know, 4.1 average, not bad. But in the passing game, he was an asset. He caught eight passes for 73 yards. I liked what I saw from Jeff Wilson, the way he ran the ball, that energy he brought. It just, you know, it just gives you a little something when you're watching a football game. You're like, yes, I like the way that guy runs. Um, and obviously, I like Matt Breed a lot, too. Unfortunately, he was banged up in this one and didn't really get much run at all. Let's see, who else gets a game ball? I'm going to give a third game ball. I'm going to give it to a guy who's been much maligned this season, has fought through a ton of criticism, uh, some of it this week. And I think a lot of this is mental. I think playing with an edge is really going to help a kilo with a spoon going forward. I'm going to give him a game ball in this game because of what it represented that he across from, and they weren't even, dude, Russell Wilson, 
for the first half of this game, didn't even take a peek at Richard Sherman's side of the field. Like, not at all. And so Keller Witherspoon did his spot on the other side. Most of those big passing plays, in fact, all of them, Akella Witherspoon didn't give up a single reception. And the pass interference penalty in the end zone was BS. That was a terrible call. That was great defense. I don't care. Uh, a little contact. It's a fade route. There's going to be contact there. So Akella Witherspoon, he gets a game ball. I like seeing him step up. He's been getting called out this season from fans and from coaches and from uh, pundits and analysts everywhere, myself included. It was nice to see him step up, and you can get a little glimpse of what he could do. I think a lot of that is mental and him playing with an edge and him playing like his job's on the line every game, like Richard Sherman plays. Richard Sherman's competitive as hell. That's what makes him so great. I think that's one of the big things, and maybe one of the final pieces Akella Witherspoon needs to take from Richard Sherman to become that starting caliber a really solid starting corner in the NFL. And hopefully Akella Witherspoon puts some more games like this together down the stretch and becomes that guy for the 49ers. And then they don't have to spend a hugely high draft pick or a whole bunch of free agent money on a corner this offseason. Good news for the 49ers on the draft front in this game. The Arizona Cardinals, they beat the Packers unexpectedly. The Cardinals got the Packers coach, Mike McCarthy, fired. That's how surprising that was. So the Cardinals won. That puts them at three wins. So now the 49ers and Raiders are tied. The last two teams tied with only two wins. They both fell to 2-10 and ten on the season this week. And the 49ers do have the tiebreaker and most likely will continue to have the tiebreaker over the Raiders if that remains the case. And those are the two teams. But some other teams, they might not have the tiebreaker over. It kind of depends, and that'll change as teams win and lose the rest of the way. If you're not familiar, strength of schedule is the first tiebreaker. And if record and strength of schedule are both tied, then it goes to the coin flip, as we saw last year actually with the Raiders, who the 49ers won the coin flip and went 9, and the Raiders went 10, and the 49ers snagged their guy. So it's important. Like One draft spot can be important in getting your guy And luckily, the 49ers did get their guy in Mike McGlinchey, and the Raiders ended up moving back and taking Colton Miller instead at offensive tackles. So, um, yeah, record, strength of schedule, coin flip. Right now, if the 49ers are tied with the Raiders, it's looking like it's going to hold the rest of the way because they have a nice little lead on strength of schedule because the 49ers' schedule has been so low, and it's the worst strength of schedule that gets the higher pick. So right now, the 49ers would have that tiebreaker. Not guaranteed they'd have it over the other teams like the Cardinals are, are pretty close. The, the Cardinals and 49ers play, obviously, a very similar schedule in the NFC West. And it's actually funny that the Cardinals win. They obviously drop back in the draft, but then that hurts the 49ers' strength of schedule because that's a team they played twice. And all of a sudden, out of your 16 games, that's two more wins. But right now, the 49ers would have the number one pick in the NFL draft and when you look at the rest of the schedule, Broncos, Bears, Seahawks again, and the Rams might not be a lot of wins on that schedule. So odds-on favorites right now to pick number one in the NFL draft are your San Francisco 49ers. All right, get those mailbag questions in for myself and Nick on tomorrow's show. At BD Peacock on Twitter is where you can find me. You can email LockedOn49ers at Gmail. And I'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Locked On 49ers.